Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study every Sunday morning, and it is posted at the same time that we meet at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ for our Sunday morning Bible classes. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us in person. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street. But we know that there are people who, even in the Omaha area, cannot be with us at that time for one reason or another. And we know that there are people who listen to these studies across the country and literally around the world. So we're thankful to be able to teach God's Word through the medium of the Internet and by means of these podcasts everywhere the Internet is accessible. We're thankful to be able to do that. And we pray that God will continue to bless us to be able to teach his word on such a widespread basis. And if there are other technological means that we could employ to teach his word on an even more extensive basis, we pray that he'll make those means open to us as well. We want to help you. We want to help as many people as we can come to God for forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ to develop their faith, which comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17, and to grow and stay strong in their faith. We want to help you get to heaven. That's what these studies are all about. Well, we're going to begin, and by the way, we encourage you to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. There's all kinds of study materials available there. It's all free, but we encourage you to sign up for our podcasting. It's free, and you will automatically receive to your smartphone or computer or whatever device you choose a whole lot of regular daily Bible studies. And again, they'll always be free. Now, we're going to get into the book of Judges. We have been studying through the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and also the book of Joshua, which follows chronologically from those five books. And now we get into the book of Judges, and it follows the book of Joshua. The book of of Joshua was a book, if we want to think of it, In this way, to a great extent, we could think of it as a book that was describing the conquest of the land of Canaan, which God promised to give to Abraham through his descendants. Now, it would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before that promise would be fulfilled, because when God promised that to Abraham, he had no children. And so God blessed Abraham through his wife, Sarah, to have a child, and through that child, the bloodline would continue through which the nation of Israel would develop, come into being, and that would become a mighty nation numerically while they were living within the land of Egypt for 400 years. Now, the book of Deuteronomy talks about their coming out You actually can go all the way back to Exodus, but the book of Deuteronomy kind of 
rehearses or goes back and reminds them of their history to that point. And in the book of Deuteronomy, the people of Israel are on the border of the promised land on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and they're ready to cross into the promised land, and they're going to be fighting battles of conquest because God has told them the people in that land are idol worshipers. They don't believe in me. They don't worship me. You either drive them out or you destroy them. I will give you that land, and I'll fight your battles before you, and I will give you the victories. And so the book of Joshua, if we could think of it, is in one way we can think of it is a book that describes the conquest of the promised land and the people of Israel taking it into their possession by God's gift, but also by him giving them the victory over their enemies within that land. Now we come to the book of Judges, and the conquest continues, but it comes up short. Now God had told the people of Israel You don't have anything to do relationship-wise with those idol-worshiping people. They are disbelievers, non-believers in me. They worship images, statues, carvings, which are nothing. He says, if you start developing relationships with them, they're they're going to become an impediment to your continued faithfulness. They're going to become... The devil's going to use them to tempt you to start worshiping idols and thereby turn away from me. He describes them as becoming a a thorn in their sides, a snare, if you would. And so the devil would use them in that way if they allowed them to stay there and developed relationships with them. Well, God wanted wanted them to drive them out altogether. As we came to the end of the book of Joshua... Joshua, their leader, and the one who was leading them in battles, he became old, and so he stepped aside. Now, the book of Judges picks up at that point, and to this point, the people of Israel, taking, taking possession of the promised land, fighting those battles, they have been faithful to God. The book of Judges sees them make a tragic turn away from true faithfulness, complete faithfulness to God. But let's pick up with chapter 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? You see, by the time Joshua steps aside because of his old age and he dies, there are still some foreign people living within the, within the land that God has given to the Israelites. And so here they're asking, after the death of Joshua, the children of Israel ask the Lord, who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Now Judah being the tribe of Judah. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Now, it sounds like we're talking about two men, Judah and Simeon, 
were sons of Jacob. And those two sons of Jacob had died hundreds of years before. And so it, it sounds like, but it, this is literature. And so the imagery is there of the brothers, Judah and Simeon, talking to each other and agreeing, we'll go up against our, our mutual enemies and fight together against them. What is really taking place is the leaders of the tribes of Judah and, the, and Simeon are making this agreement. We're going to help one another defeat and drive out our enemies within the allotted territories that we have been given by inheritance. And we looked somewhat at that back as we were coming in the closing chapters of, of, of the book of, of, of uh, Joshua. That Those territories, those parts of the land, the promised land, the land of Canaan, that we have been allotted. So we'll fight together and drive these enemies out, these Canaanites. So, so Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Now, why would they cut off the thumbs and the big toes of their enemies, those warriors that they had been fighting against? This was not, this was not unique just to the, the you know, Judah and, and Simeon, those two tribes fighting these battles at this time, David would do the same thing later on, I believe we would find. And that would be hundreds of years later. Remember how wars were fought at that particular time. There were no rifles. There were no pistols. There were no cannons. There was no air force they fought hand-to-hand combat. Now, in some cases, they would, for their artillery, it would be bows and arrows. How do you, how do you draw back the bow to shoot the arrow? You need your thumb, don't you? How do you hold the spear to thrust it at the enemy? You grasp it, not just with your four fingers and your palm of your hand, but your thumb also. How do you hold the sword when you're standing in hand-to-hand mortal combat with, your, with the other soldier? You hold that sword by your thumb. Difficult to hold it effectively and wield it effectively on a continual basis without a thumb. Now, what about that big toe? How do you stand your ground? How do you push forward? How do you not allow the enemy to push you back your big toe in the construction of your 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 foot is powerful is strong is a an anchoring influence with it you know on your feet to help you stand that ground you don't have a big toe you're going to have a hard time difficulty to some extent walking even but 
you're certainly going to have a hard time standing in a warrior position, wielding your sword or thrusting your spear when the enemy is fighting against you and trying to push you back. So it effectively, it effectively just neutralizes an enemy warrior. Verse 7 goes on, and Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used, used to gather scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. Then they brought him into Jerusalem, and there he died. Apparently the king of that particular group of Canaanite people. And so he had done that himself, used that particular tactic to handicap his enemies. And he says, now God has done this to me through the Israelites. Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. Now you say, Jerusalem, remember, they're conquering a foreign land at this point that has been inhabited by foreign people who do not believe in God. Jerusalem at that time was not the Jerusalem it would become under King David. Verse 9, and afterward the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwell in the mountains in the south and in the lowland. Then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwell in Hebron. See, they weren't, they weren't located in just one specific small region within the land of Canaan. They were in different places. And so they were being defeated, and from a military perspective, piecemeal. In other words, one group of them at a time by the, the, by the warriors of the tribes of Judah and Simeon. So Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in, Heb, in, in, in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kirjath Arba, and they killed Shishai, Hyman, and Talmai. From there, they went against the inhabitants of, of, of Deber. The name of Deber was formerly Kirjath Sephar. Then Caleb said, whoever attacks Kirjath Sephar and takes it, to him I will give my daughter, Aksa, as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, so he gave, so he gave him his daughter, Aksoth as his wife. Now it happened when, the, when, when she came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field, and she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, what do you want? What do you wish? So she said to him, give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now the children of the, of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, where lies in the south near Arad, and they went and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother Simeon, and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Also, Judah took Geza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. And so the conquest of the land continues after Joshua steps aside in his old age and dies. Also, 
Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, Ekron with its territory. So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said. Then he expelled from there the three sons of Anak. Anak would have been giants. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Now, what did God warn the Israelites about not doing? Don't let any of those people stay in the land. They will turn you from me and to start worshiping their idols. Either destroy them or drive them out. They were starting to come up short. And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Please show us the entrance to the city and we will show you mercy. So he showed them the entrance to the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, and they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city, and called its name Luz, which is its name to this day. Now, things start to change. Verse 27, however, when Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth, of Beth Shean and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Ibliam and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites, the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. What was happening when Joshua was their leader and led them in battle, after battle, after battle, after battle? The appearance seemed to be that all of the nation, all of the warrior men of the nation, banded together and fought those battles and defeated every enemy that came before them. But now Joshua's gone, and now the tribes, the individual tribes, are fighting battles within the part of the land that had been given to them as their inheritance. And some of those tribes are coming up with problems in defeating those enemies. Probably we would need to think the whole nation should have still banded together and fought and defeated enemy after enemy after enemy. But now they're coming up short, some of the tribes. So verse 28 indicates that basically those enemies still in the land or those non-Israelite people, the Canaanites and so on, those idol-worshiping people that God said you drive them out or destroy them, well, they were not 
completely defeated, some of them were not completely defeated and driven out by the Israelites, but the Israelites were much stronger than they, and so the Israelites put them under subjection. They, they, what does verse 28 say again? They put them under tribute, under tribute, forced labor. Basically, they had them under their thumb, but they did not completely drive them out. Now, that was the mistake. They did not completely drive them out. God said, don't let them stay. Don't, don't develop relationships with them or they will be your undoing. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them, among them, okay? Now, what's going to happen? God warned, don't intermarry with them. That's going to happen. And in that intimate of, relation, of physical relationships and emotional relationships, there's going to be influence from the non-believers in God, the idol worshipers, to lead the Israelite believers in and worshipers of God to start to turn away from God, at least to some extent, and start worshiping their idols. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalal, so the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Well, right now they're put under tribute. But over time, they're going to become that thorn in their side and that evil influence to lead the Israelite, the Israelites away from true faithfulness to God. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Alab, Akzib, Elbah, Ethic or Rehob. So the, Amorite, uh, so the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Nor did Naphtali. Now you see we're seeing tribe after tribe falling short of staying true to God's instruction. Nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath but they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in, in Mount Heres, in Ajalon, and in Shalbam, Yet, when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. Now, the boundary of the Amorites was from the ascent of Akrabim, from Selah and upward. The Israelites did not completely follow through and obey God's instructions in either destroying or driving out the ungodly inhabitants of the promised land that God gave to them. Now, were they stronger than those inhabitants at this point? Yes. Did they put them under tribute? 
basically force them to serve them in one or more ways? Yes. But what's going to happen over time? What's going to happen over time? Those peoples are going are going to become more influential and stronger. And as they influence many of the Israelites to become less than completely faithful and dedicated to God, then God is going to let them become not only enemies of Israel, but in some cases defeat them and put the Israelites under subjection. You see, when God says to do something, we need to do it. He knows best. He is all-knowing and all-wise. And we cannot do better than to follow his teachings, his instructions. He knows all the dangers which we do not necessarily see at a given moment in time. But he instructs us so that when those dangers do arise, we will be able to set them aside and overcome them. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Consistent, dedicated faithfulness. That's the key to our staying strong in our relationship with God and Jesus Christ. We'll pick up with chapter 2 next time. Let's pray. Father, help us to learn the lessons that you have had written down for us in your word, the lessons of those who have not stayed completely true to you and suffered the consequences as a result. Help us to learn from those accounts our need and help it to be a great desire and determination within our hearts to stay true to you and to live by your teachings faithfully, obediently, and consistently and to be a great, positive, godly influence upon the peoples around us. Please, Father, we pray. We pray, Father, for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.